Before I start this podcast, I just want to tell you one little thing. This podcast is to help in educating people about psychology and neurology and not to diagnose people. If you happen to relate with the symptoms of the disorders that are mentioned in the podcast, please seek professional help in order to confirm and don't assume that you have it just because you heard from this podcast. So in other words, this is just to educate you and be aware about those two fields and not to diagnose you. Thank you. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to Perspective of Minds, the podcast that explores the field of psychology and neuroscience and helps you guys learn more about those two fields and the topics that it contains. My name is Sporty and today we're going to be talking about false memories, what it is, how it applies to our day-to-day lives and what we can do to prevent it or at least try to like tone it down a bit. So Let me start by giving the definition of false memories. So false memories is where people remember things differently, especially believing something that had occurred in the past, even though it never happened. For example, you might think you did your homework last night, but actually you really didn't. And you ended up humiliating yourself by arguing with the teacher, claiming you did your homework, when in reality, there's so many evidence that shows you never did your homework. Ah, those good times back in middle school. But how are they created? How are they made exactly? Well, false memories are created by combining real memories with suggestions received by outside influence. So someone or something can influence you directly or indirectly that can change your memories or at least alter them. So there are so many ways that someone can receive this suggestive source. And here are the main five. Suggestions, misinformation, inaccurate perception, misattribution, and emotion. So let's start off with suggestions. It's where someone is suggesting if something is there and you include it. So what I mean is that one of your friend will, in quotation marks, suggest that you did wear a pink shirt last night, when in reality, you only wore a white shirt. But she suggested it in such a way where it is true and it sounded so convincing that you fall this trap and start to believe that yes you did wear a pink shirt and it goes to a point where you think you remember it now you suddenly remember that you did wear a pink shirt that had a slogan go big or go home but actually you were just wearing a white shirt second is misinformation fed with false information to the point that you create false information For example, someone is trying to convince you that something happened even though it never really did happen. So they create all these false facts where they're so convincing to a point that you might as well think that it really did happen. And in order to support it because you feel like it is right, but you don't remember it. So in order to make it feel right, you start to create these false memories that it really did happen based on false information that you were given. Inaccurate perception, which is recollecting some parts 
of a memory and filling in the gaps with your own assumptions. In other words, you have like a videotape, but there's some gaps that are missing. So instead of like finding those gaps and trying to like search, you decide to just assume what might have happened. Like seen before the hero punches the villain and then suddenly there is a gap. What do you assume? Oh, the bad guy actually falls down and dies and the hero wins. When in reality, the hero died and the villain won because of, I don't know, what the writers wanted to do because I didn't see the movie. But yeah, inaccurate perception is where you have a memory, but you don't remember every single thing. So you just assumed that this happened and you made it part of your memory to a point where you believed it. And the next one is misattribution. Two events that are true in one memory. They are true, but it didn't happen in that timeline. For example, I have a memory at 13 years old where I fell into a pile of mud. And another memory at the age of 14 where people were laughing at me, not because I fell into a pile of mud, but because I called my teacher mom. Yeah, that was really embarrassing. Anyway, so I combined those two memories and turned them into one. Both are true, but both of them didn't really happen in the same timeline. And this could happen because of outside influence, such as you want to try and relate to someone and some person would be like, oh, this happens to almost everyone. So through misattribution, you would combine two memories and make it into a false one just to feel related. Or there are also other reasons why misattribution could have occurred. That is just one example. And on to our final method on how a suggestive source is formed. It's emotion, everybody. The biggest part. Well, let me tell you one thing. Emotions can definitely shape your perspective. Like when you're really, really, really sad and angry because your boyfriend broke up with you, you feel like everyone is against you and everyone is saying that, oh, you weren't meant to be or like this shouldn't have happened and all those negative stuff you start to take in because your emotion is what affects your ability to take in the info that you're receiving so because of your emotion you might see one thing when the reality is another like because you're sad you might think that everyone is not caring for you and they're just ignoring you when in reality they're just trying to like find a way to cheer you up by making a little surprise party how sweet. So in other words, don't just assume, just get the facts. And those are all how suggestive source can be formed through suggestions, misinformation, inaccurate perception, misattribution, and emotion. But here's the million dollar question. How common is it for people to have these false memories? Well, over 400 reports studied, 30.4% of participants had false memories, while 53.3% accepted the fake event to some degree. So how do you interpret this? Simple. It is common to have false memories because many of us tend to have false memory, but the bigger part is that we kind of accepted 
that this fake event happened, and you start to create false memories to back it up. And false memories is honestly really, really common for everyone. Just like how you would get the cold, it's common, and there's no escape because again, we have suggestions sources all over us, and it's kind of hard to avoid it unless you. Have videotaped your entire life to show all the evidence, but still, there's no way you can like avoid having false memories unless you have really good memory, of course. But still, it's still hard for you to avoid false memories. Now, before we get into what it means to the world, how it affects in our day to day life. I'm just going to give you guys a 10 seconds break because I know listening to me can be a little bit exhausting. So here you go, guys, a 10 seconds break. And we are back. So let me just give you a little recap. First. False memories is where you think it happened, but never really happened. And there's so many ways you can get suggestive information in your environment, and it does happen a lot. It's really common, so there's no way you can escape it. Just like how you can't escape cold. But what does it really mean to the world? Well, false memories has a big impact and a small impact, but. Both of them are the same. It affects your perception on what you see in the world. It affects your decision making, and it affects your beliefs. So let's start something small. So again, it affects on your decision, your beliefs, and your perception on things. All right. So let's start something small. For example, you. Are buying an ice cream, and there's two options: chocolate and vanilla. You think about the chocolate, but through your memories, you see that the chocolate one isn't really the right fit because, according to your memories, you didn't have the best experience as you had an allergic reaction to chocolate. So you decide to take vanilla, and that isn't really true. That's false memories because through suggestive information. You think that it was an allergic reaction when actually you had a stomach pain, but never an allergic reaction. The only thing you're allergic to is flowers. And as for the big things, it can affect our biggest decisions. For example, you might had a false memory that you were in a car accident, and That's why you decided to not drive a car when, in reality, you were in a bike accident, or, in fact, you weren't even in an accident. Somebody just gave you false information, and you just created that false memory that you were in a car crash, and that affected you a lot because now transportation is getting a lot harder, and it's really hard to commute to work. So. How come false memories are affecting our decisions? Well, guess what? Memories are like record tape of all our past experience, and based on our past experience, we look back to think what 
decisions have led us to success and what decisions had led us to failure. And based on that, we reflect on our past to make better decisions today. So based on our memories, we make decisions. We see things in a different way. We have beliefs. And that can be a really, really big problem when you have false memories, because what if you make a wrong decision? This can happen in people with disorders. For example, OCD. Fact, people with OCD tend to have false memories. I'm not saying all of them, some of them, okay? False memories in OCD can manifest an obsession. False memories become recurrent and intrusive thoughts that in turn increase doubt about what really happened. So in other words, people with OCD tend to doubt their own memories that something did happen. And because they doubt their own memories, it later turns into false memories through suggestive sources where it creates a memory that supports why they're doing this repetitive action. And these persistent doubts might cause them to constantly check or engage in rituals to relieve the distress. So some people will develop false memories where they think their house got got robbed because they didn't lock their door properly. And so they do this behavior again and again because they feel like something bad will happen and they rely on their own memories to back it up. This can also happen in the law enforcement. So when it comes to law enforcement, there are false testimonies where many people might rely because, again, what if you don't have proper evidence and you're the only one who has witnessed it? You might be the only hope or you might be the only one who can punish the innocent. But false memories is really, really dangerous as it can leave an innocent person convicted of a crime that they never committed. False memories is a serious problem with law enforcement and that can cause a lot and lot of problems and damages for both sides. So, I want to talk about these two cases. One of them might be triggering. So if you don't want to listen it, you can just skip a little bit where I talk about George Franklin case after some time. So here we go. There are two cases, the Galileo case and the George Franklin case. So let's start with the Galileo case. Again, it may be triggering to some people. So I suggest you move to the George Franklin case if you think you can't handle it. So in this case, the parents notified the police that their child, whose name was Guy, I don't know, it was from the article, so we're going to use his name, Guy, experienced abuse in Galileo Elementary School. And they said that the two teachers sexually abused their son. And so the police decide to go and investigate. And as they were investigating, the parents decided to take their child to therapy. The therapist thought that he was sexually abused. 
So he decided to use dolls to like ask him how he was sexually abused and use those dolls to re reenact how the events might have taken place for him. And let me tell you this, before he went to the therapy session, he didn't say that he was sexually abused, but that he was seriously punished, like he wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. But after the therapy session, he started to change his statement, saying that he was sexually abused and that they did so many weird and crazy and horrible things to him. And this only happened after the therapy session. Okay, and now we're at this point where police sends letters to the parents in the Galileo Elementary School to inform about this incident. And after that moment, they start to receive around 20 children to report that they have also been sexually abused by the same teachers. And they also described it in a lot of detail and all of them were like, wild things that happened that you would never imagine you would never even think for example one child said that they were they went on a flight to some place and they were made to watch something so you might never know but here's the thing in this case there is false memories that may have been implanted how you may ask well let's take guy before, he said that he was just being punished severely. He was abused. But after the therapy session, he said that he was sexually abused. And here's the thing. This is where suggestive source came in because the therapist assumed that he had gone through it. So by forming his questions where it suggested that he was abused in that way, he thought that maybe it was the truth and that maybe it really did happen and that he didn't really think about it properly and after the therapy session he started thinking and created memories that backed it up because he thought that it was what really happened and he wanted to believe it so he decided to create memories again you can't just be like oh you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna create false memories to support it no you're unconsciously doing it because, again, you're unconsciously wanting it to be true, so you create it to back it up. And that's the same thing for the 20 children who reported after they got the letter. Because after the parents got the letter about the incident, the parents asked the children in many ways, but the main thing is that they asked in such a way where it did happen and maybe it did happen to them. And they asked it in such a way where the children thought that it really did happen to them. And again, like Guy, they created false memories unintentionally and came up with all the false memories to back it up. So at the end of the case, the teachers didn't really get prosecuted because the psychologists in those cases say that the children's statement was less reliable due to suggestive influence so they were able to catch on before they could prosecute the two teachers but this isn't really the case for george franklin case until it was too late so in george franklin case in 1990 george franklin became the first ever u.s citizen convicted of murder by a witness who recovered false memories more than 20 years after the event 
I read further in the article that Franklin was released in 1996 after six years in prison when irregularities were discovered in Aline's evidence, where it has emerged that she has been hypnotized before testifying when the false memory was probably created. So in other words, yes, the murder did happen. She was traumatized. She might have remembered it easily. But because she was hypnotized, she had created this false memories where Franklin was the murderer and they just convicted Sint and ne never committed its crime. But people assumed that he was the murderer based on the false memory that the witness had gave. So both cases are very similar as both involves false memories. But the only difference is that one case had psychologists in it so they were able to stop the prosecution but george franklin case wasn't so lucky as he had to face time in prison for six years until they discovered what really happened in aline's testimony now let's talk about the takeaways but before that let me just give you a 10 seconds break so here you guys are with a 10 second And we are back. So let me just give you a little recap of what we just talked before. So false memories tend to have a small and big impact into our day-to-day -day lives. They can affect our decisions. And they can have a range of from small things to like really big decisions. And they all can be affected because we use memories to help in making decisions as they are the recordings of our past experience. And this can all happen in law enforcement as there have been cases where people have been convicted of murders that they never really committed because of false memories that witnesses have gave. So what can we really take away from this? Well, now that I told you about the cases, now you're wondering, well, if this is really a big thing, what has law enforcement have done? I'm glad you asked. Because once the police and the investigators have noticed that there's this thing going on where false memories can convict innocent people, they decide to do something about it. First, they decide that they need to make it mandatory that in any case where a crime has committed, they need to get to the witness as soon as possible without anyone coming in and telling them what to say. They want to hear it firsthand before it all gets jumbled up because of outside influence. So they get there as fast as possible to receive it when it's fresh. Second thing is building report. Now, many people will all get anxious when they're talking to the police, and I get it. It's kind of scary seeing a police in front of your house asking you what happened, and you get nervous. Even though you never did anything wrong, you still get nervous, and that is normal. So what police and investigators have done is building rapport with the witnesses. They want them to stay calm and know that nothing bad is going to happen to them. So they tried to build a connection by giving them water, coffee, tea, by talking about their day, by joking around before they ask questions. That way, the witness can feel comfortable and doesn't have to feel pressured on 
remembering certain memories without having to be pressured and messing up the memories where they think it happened but didn't because of the pressure. So doing this can actually help minimize the amount of false memories that one person can take when being interviewed. But what about us? False memories can also have a really big impact on us. So what we can do is very simple. We can improve our memories through different techniques. And we could also find reasoning why we should believe in a certain thing through solid evidence and not based on your memory. So what I'm trying to say is that in order to prevent false memories, it's important that you build your memory skills so that way it'll be easier for you to recollect and be a little bit more accurate. And also, when you're trying to remember something, it's important that you have solid evidence that something really happened. Like, for example, asking your friends who definitely know what really happened without having any bias. Or you might have a video or a photo of that event. That can also help you back up or put down those false memories. And what I'm telling you guys all these techniques you can do. Now you're gonna be asking Sporty, I don't want those techniques. I want to know how I can eliminate false memories because you literally told me false memories is dangerous. Yes, it is. At points of time, it is dangerous. Sometimes it could be useful because, well, you might never know what decisions you might make that might end up being great. But then again, it's also dangerous and it could be hurtful. But there's no way we can prevent it because false memories happen a lot nowadays and it's really hard to eliminate them. So the best thing we can do is just stay aware about false memories and improve our memory skills so that way we can reduce the amount of false memories that we create. And that is the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope this episode was really informative. And please do check out my Instagram page, Perspective of Minds 2022, with all spaces between the words. And in that account, I will be posting updates and polls on what I should make an episode about next. And there will be future episodes coming up soon. So please stay tuned. And also do share this episode to your friends and family if you think this can actually help them and stay informed about it. Because at the end of the day, this podcast is to help people understand more about certain things in psychology and neuroscience and to help people become aware of it. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode.